0: Welcome to the Unabridged Podcast. I'm Ashley. And this is Jen. Join us for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com,
1: where you can find lots of new bookish content to grow your TBR. Sign up for our newsletter to find out more about online book discussions and upcoming events. Find us on Patreon for extra unabridged content. Join us on Instagram and Facebook at unabridgedpod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hey everyone, and welcome to Unabridged. Today is our Unabridged Awards for 2022 episode. This always causes great joy and great anxiety here on the pod. (laughs) Um, Before I get started, I just want to remind everyone that we are reviving our Patreon. If you are interested in supporting our podcast and in getting a little extra content each month, you can head over to patreon.com slash unabridged pod. We are releasing an extra episode every month for our Patreon supporters. And, you know, we love our podcast, but we definitely could use a little financial boost. So head over there, check it out. And we'd love to see you in that community. All right. To get today's episode started, we are going to start with our bookish check-in. Ashley, what are you reading today? One of the books I'm reading is Karina
0: Yan Glazer's The Vanderbeekers to the Rescue. And I know longtime listeners have heard me talk about The Vanderbeekers before. This is a great middle grade series that I absolutely love. This one is book three. I think what I really love about the series in general is it's a really sweet family who you see a lot of the sibling dynamics in the family. And so I think sometimes we don't see that represented in books a whole lot, but it's kind of the ins and outs of sibling members and how they interact with each other. And so the Van have five children, and they're a relatively wide age range. And they also have several pets. And so they live in a brownstone house, and they are over the course of the series increasingly close with their neighbors. That's another thing I really like in the series is that their neighbors are older. And so it's you see a lot of interactions of the kids with the elderly neighbors, which is really sweet. And it just kind of shows real life and working through some of those things. And so I think that's really nice. But this book focuses on their mom is a baker. And she is really passionate about having she's wanting to get away from accounting, which has been her career and she really wants to be a full-time baker. So she's really great at it, but she's still baking out of her kitchen at the house and kind of trying to figure out how to make that transition to having a full-time bakery. (laughs) In the beginning, the Vanderbeekers are always well-meaning children, but they also wind up in a lot of shenanigans In every book. And so this one is no exception to that. And so early on, they are home, their mom is supposed to be coming right back. And they know that there's an appointment coming up with somebody with an inspector. And they know that that's supposed to happen after their mom returns from home. But right at the beginning, the inspector is quite a bit early, they let the inspector in, they think the inspector is coming to like, look at their boiler or something. But no, he is a health inspector, and he's coming in to see if their kitchen is up to code. And with all of them living there and their pets, it is not, in fact, up to code. So a lot (laughs) of the book is them trying to figure out how to both not tell their mom that this happened, the inspection failed, and also figure out how to fix the kitchen so that it's not the code. (laughs) And so uh, as you can imagine, it is difficult for children, no matter how well-meaning and smart they are, it's difficult for them to solve those kinds of problems. But again, that's a lot of what the series is about. And so you get to see how that all unfolds and what happens with, you know, navigating that. So Really sweet series. I always, when I talk about these, say if you have not read these yet, it's just a great series. It's a great series to read with any kids in your life. And it is just a fun one. I just think they're brilliantly written and always have really interesting plot lines, but also just really sweet character development where you really get to know each of the kids. So again, that is Karina Yan Glazer's the Vanderbeekers to the rescue. And that
1: one's book three. Every time you say if you have not read the series yet, I'm like, I have not read this series yet. (laughs) And I definitely (laughs) intend to but yeah, I just have not dived in. It sounds so sweet.
0: Yeah, they're great. I think they're a lot of fun. And I don't think it matters much if you read them in order for what it's worth. So, you know, there is definitely a benefit in the sense that you there is some unfolding of you get to know more of the characters as you go. But I don't think it's vital if you have access to one of them and just want to get started. So
1: what about you, Jen? What are you reading? I am reading a memoir. This is Joy Harjo's Crazy Brave. And Harjo, I really first came to know her as a poet. And her poetry is beautiful. I've listened, I've read a few in print, I've listened to some on audio. She typically reads them, and I recommend both formats. So I was really excited when I saw Crazy Brave. This was one that at Read with Tony on Instagram had up as a buddy read. And it, it's a really short memoir, it's fewer than 200 pages. But it is beautiful. I always love reading poets' prose because I think they bring that poetic sense of word choice and just beautiful sentences to their prose. And she begins with her childhood and actually with her birth. And she talks a lot about the stories of her birth and how she understands her parents' relationship to have been at that time, and then she works up into her adulthood. So she had a lot of tragedy in her childhood. Her parents separated when she was quite young, and her mother remarried, and her stepfather was abusive. And so she talks a lot about the impact that had on her. And then, I, I don't know if you can spoil a memoir, so I'm just going to say she becomes pregnant while she's still a teenager and she talks a lot about sort of repeating some of the patterns that her mother had and then trying to break free of those patterns while still honoring who her mother and her father were. So it is absolutely stunning. I'm really enjoying it. There are definitely difficult parts. So if you are a sensitive reader, you may want to check out some trigger warnings, but it is really beautiful. And the English teacher and me cannot not recommend her project from when she was poet laureate is called Living Nations, Living Words. And if you have not checked that out, it is an amazing endeavor. So she worked with other indigenous poets and created a GIS. So everyone has a place on a map and they talk about how their poetry is rooted in where they were and, about how the boundaries that govern our current United States don't always apply to indigenous people and to the ways that they approach the world and to the work that they are putting out. So it's well worth checking out. We'll put a link in the show notes. It is a really, really cool project and I've used it with my students and it is really interesting to see them just explore the content that she has there. So, The book is Crazy Brave, but also check out her project, Living Nations, Living Words.
0: Wow. Gosh, that sounds amazing.
1: It's really cool, Ashley. You would love it. It's just, it's hard to describe, so I realize that might have been a little muddled, but once you click on that link and just start exploring, there is so much good good stuff there. So I will definitely check that out. All right. Well, we are ready to begin the awards portion of our episode, and... This has been quite an evolution since we first started doing those. I think we are quite resistant to ranking books and to saying that these are the only books we love from a year. And yet we also know I love to look at other people's awards. So (laughs) I just don't want to pick them myself. So I will say we are planning to each do a bookish fave offering some other favorites from the year. But we have chosen a few books to share with you that we really loved from 2022. Anything you want to say about the anxiety there, Ashley? (laughs) (laughs) No,
0: yeah, I think it is really hard to sort through. I think that most of us as readers know the books that really resonated because when we see the title – you feel an impact, an emotional impact, and things come to your mind. And so I think it's easy to kind of sort books between ones that made a lasting impact and ones that didn't. But then, you know, to get beyond that, I think is really hard. So that is why we don't rank them, but instead try to just give them a specific award in the sense of this is what the book did for me. So that's kind of how we've approached it.
1: All right, well, we are going to share our categories here. So Ashley, what is one book that you want to share one award you want to give?
0: I'm like, which one do I start with? (laughs) I don't know having some anxiety. So I'm going to go with a memoir that I read first. And this one I gave the award of inspiring story about finding your way forward. This one is Sylvia Lovato Vasquez's In the Shadow of the Mountain, A Memoir of Courage. And I shared a book review about this one a little while ago, but I just found this deeply resonant. So in this one, first of all, I listened to the audiobook, Sylvia reads it, the author reads it. So I really loved that. But I do think it'd be great on print as well. And What I thought was really fascinating, the basic premise is that she is telling the story of her summiting Mount Everest. And so in a lot of what's happening throughout the book is the actual grueling physical journey of her going from base camp to base camp moving her way up to summit Mount Everest. And that alone is really fascinating. And something I didn't know a whole lot about. I mean, obviously, I knew it was a challenge, and that a lot of people don't succeed. And I knew that there was like oxygen involved and things like that. But that was kind of the extent of my knowledge. And so it was really fascinating to hear her talk about the training and the process and the gear and all this kind of thing. So there's some of that. But you see her with a group of people and women and non-binary people who are making their way with her. And so in the beginning, and they, they what you want come to find out is that the group goes to the base camp with her, but then they split ways and, you know, send her off. And then she kind of takes their offerings up to the summit. So the rest of them don't do the summit part with her, but she is bringing them along. And in the beginning, you're kind of unpacking how that's happening. But essentially, you really see that she is mentoring these people, these young people, all of whom are survivors of sexual assault. And so she essentially, when she first met them said, I have found my way through climbing, and I'm gonna help you do that too. And so that really is the premise. And so That's happening in the present time, but then you get all of her backstory of her, what led to the moment of her climbing Mount Everest. And I think there were a lot of things I really appreciated about it, but I think that part of what was so impactful to me is just how honest she was about the trauma that was inflicted on her, but also all the ways that she tried to run from it and She talks very frankly about alcoholism. She talks about, you know, just being at the bottom of things. And so you see all of that. I will say, like Jen said about trigger warnings, I mean, this one has a lot of really hard things in it. So, If you And again, it's her life, and she is telling a story of her life. But if you feel sensitivity to those, it might be helpful to know up front what some of those topics are. I will say she is at a very young age when she starts having um, some sexual abuse happening. And so that's really painful, as you might imagine. And part of why it was so traumatic for her, because she was so young that, you know, she did not have any awareness of anything about it, essentially. And the person was assuring her that her parents wanted that to happen. And so there's a lot of I mean, all the the things that we are trying to do better with kids about now to always make sure that they have an age appropriate understanding of some of those things, because it's exactly something that could have been avoided, but she had no bearing to have any idea that something was wrong until much, much later. And so, you know, I just thought that her writing is gorgeous. Her path, is a hard one, but is just phenomenal. And she is a really amazing person. And so I just absolutely loved it and think that it left a deep impact. And I love seeing how kind of what you were saying about your book, Jen. I mean, she has this whole website and all this amazing work that she's doing to raise awareness and to support survivors. And it's just really cool to see how she's found her way and I won't say, I mean, you don't get over something like that. But I think that she has found a way to thrive and to deal with her reality. So, so inspiring. Such a really, really amazing book. And one more time, that is what I said was an inspiring story about finding your way forward. And it's by Sylvia Lovato-Vasquez. And it's In the Shadow of the Mountain, A Memoir of Courage.
1: That oh, it sounds so good. I keep looking at that in my Libro FM roster and thinking I need to get to it soon.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. It, like I said, I, I think it had a lot of really beautiful lines. So there were times that I was sorry that I was listening just because mm. I. it's very notable. And there are so many beautiful passages, but I loved hearing her read what she wrote. So I thought that was And I will say too, there were parts where just like laugh out loud, hilarious. And so I think that's really enlightening to I mean, she just is she's just so humble. And she's humble about showing all the really real parts of things like mountain climbing, some of which I mean, there's some bodily functions that <laughs> you just have to deal with. Right. Um, that, that can be quite hilarious to hear someone recount. So, you know, there were just parts that I was just absolutely cracking up. I And mean, she's just really seems like such an amazing person. So what about you, Jen?
1: What's one of your categories? All right. So I am going to share a book. This, this is your work. Book I bought after I read it because I needed to have it on my shelf. And I feel like that award itself requires some context that I've been trying to cut back on my book buying because I only have so much shelf space and only have so much money. And this is when I checked out of the library and then loved so much I went out and bought a copy, even though I had just finished it. And so that is Maggie Shipstead's Great Circle. And I'm going to try, but I have been having a really hard time articulating why I love this book so much. It is one of those that just swept me away. i it's It's a chunk of a book, but I could not stop reading. I just loved it beyond all reason. I just loved it so much. But there are logical reasons I loved it there in addition to the emotional <laughs> depth that I found in this book. So it has parallel storylines. One is about Marion Graves who in the early 1900s decides that she wants to be a pilot when it is not really accepted for women to be pilots. And she lives a life of adventure and of constantly working to get outside the bounds that are put around her, both because of where she grows up. She grows up in a really isolated part of Montana and because of her gender. And, She goes through some really difficult experiences with powerful men. And you see her her working to break out of those while still maintaining a sense of who she is. And then the more modern storyline is of a woman named Hadley Baxter, who is cast to play Marion in a film version of her life. And we find out very early in the book that Marion was lost on an attempted flight to Antarctica. And so it's really this interesting phenomenon that you're watching Hadley try to figure out how to play this amazing woman, and you're seeing Marion's life from its beginning while sort of knowing, kind of knowing how it ended, but there's also this question mark of how was she lost, how far forward can can our knowledge of what happened to her go? And usually I found when I'm reading parallel storylines or not usually, but often I really prefer one storyline to the other. And in this one, I was sad no matter which storyline was just ending because I love both women's stories so much. And there are definitely these echoes between the ways that they are restricted by who they are. So for Hadley, she, came up very quickly in Hollywood and had this really early successful career and then made some decisions that have boxed her in. And so she's trying to find a way out of those. Both of them have early tragedies in their lives, which means that they are not raised by their parents. And so you see the impact of that early trauma on each. And yeah, so it's just the the way that Shipstead plays with those echoes, I think is really smart. And you see that even though women have made progress, there are still ways that women have to fight to establish their own identities and not to be judged and defined by other people. I mean, it is just the best kind of historical fiction. I absolutely loved it. (laughs) So that is, Maggie Shipstead's Great Circle, which is the book I bought after I read it because I needed to have it on my shelf.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That sounds awesome. I think that's such an interesting observation about about how the storyline I think you're right a lot of times with the storylines you wind up preferring one part to another so yeah that's really cool yeah
1: it, it was so good I would love to read it via audio as well I think it would be really compelling but Shipstead is a great writer so it was nice yeah I I checked it out as an ebook for my library and so I was marking quotations throughout it's a beautiful book so it makes me happy every time I see it on my shelf <laughs> <laughs> just brings back all those feelings. There you go. Yeah. All right, Ashley, what's your next choice? Uh, so I'm going to go with... This is
0: Graham Simpson's The Rosy Result. And the word I gave it was deep questions amid a compelling plot line. And I chose this one. So, this is the third in a series. A little while ago, for the bookish check in, I shared The Rosy Effect, which is book two. The Rosy Project is book one. But I think that what I really loved about first of all, I just thought it was a phenomenal series. So, if you're looking for a really great trilogy, I felt like this one held up really well. And I loved all three books a lot. And so that was something that was striking to me about a lot of times I find that the third book is hard for or the last book in a series is hard for authors. But in this one, I just thought it worked really well. But then the other thing that I really loved is that in both book one and book two, Don Tillman is the main character. And he, I would say that he very much seems neurodivergent. And so he resists a lot of labels that people try to put on him throughout. And yet we see the inner workings of his mind and know that he's very pragmatic. He's very practical. I mean, so again, like, I think that he, because you're seeing so much of how he thinks, there's a lot of exploration of how his brain works. So in this one, you really... I'm going to try not to spoil. I'm just going to say what I really loved about it. I think that there are some things going on that force this question of what does it look like to be on the spectrum? What does it mean to be on the spectrum? What does neurotypical thinking look like? What does neurodivergence look like? And does that matter? And if it matters, in what way? And is it better to try to figure that out and then plan accordingly or... Is it fine to let people be people and recognize that we are not all the same people and try not to make any sweeping generalizations about that? And there's just a lot of really thoughtful consideration of that. And in the story, that, like I said, there, that is like a part of some of book one and book two, but I think it really comes to a more central component of book three and there are reasons for that that I don't want to spoil if you're going to read the trilogy to, to why that is so significant but it becomes really important to Don and his family and like them figuring that out and so because of that I just thought that there were these really interesting philosophical questions that certainly for me with an education background I think it was really interesting to think about and then for us in general and like advocating for people's rights and advocating for, you know, again, like what is the right way? Like how do we respect people's differences and not try to say everyone is the same or a lot of people are this way and then anyone who's not this way must be this way. You know, that really binary way of thinking that we know is problematic, but then you know, are there times that it is worthwhile? So, for Don, right at the beginning, he does a thing that everyone is outraged that he did, but it had to do with the way that he thinks. And so, then people were kind of like, if you just say that you are Autistic, then this whole issue is resolved because it is a manifestation of your Autism. Mm. So that is one of the ways in which it becomes a central component. And as you might imagine, he's resistant to that for a lot of reasons. And so I think that there's just a lot. It's such a beautiful story. And it it move like all three of the books, I just think move really fast and are so compelling. And yet hit on these really complex questions that I find totally fascinating. So again, that is the rosy result. It is the third in Graham Simpson's the Rosie Project series and I gave it the award of Deep Questions Amid a Compelling Plot Line. And I really felt like, yeah,
1: I just absolutely loved it. I loved the whole series. And yeah, it was great. You talked about the second book. I think in a book is check-in and it made me want to dive in. And then this week, we want to dive in again also. Because the Rosie Project was so good. I just have got to get back to this trilogy.
0: Yeah, well and same I hadn't read it. I think it was like twenty it was very early in our recordings that we talked about. So it was maybe 2018 or something. So it's been a long time. And I don't know why I came back to book two. But then after I did, I mean, I I would I wish there were more like I would just keep reading them. I just love I love him as a character. And like I said, I think it just raises some really interesting questions. And something that's really striking to me is he's just such a lovable character. And he does so many kind things for the other people in his life. And so I think that really resonates. And yeah, it's just it's just really sweet and so interesting. What about you, Jen? What's your second one?
1: So my next award is book that I regret waiting so long to read. And I'm giving this to Octavia Butler's Kindred. And this is one of those books that I that has been on my TBR I don't know, for a decade, I've heard amazing (laughs) things about it. I was pretty sure I would like it. And yet I just had not picked up anything by Butler. And now I've read a few and I just want to keep reading until I devour her backlist. So I talked about this on the podcast at some point, I think as a book as check-in. So I won't spend tons of time on the plot. But just so you know the premise, this is about a woman named Dana in the 1970s who... For reasons that are never really explained, will suddenly time travel back to an- the antebellum era in the South. She is a black woman, so when she travels back, people treat her as if she is an enslaved person. And she continues with some time jumps to be dropped in the same place with the same family and. They, of course, have no idea why she will just randomly disappear and come back. And neither does her husband in the 70s. So there are some things I don't want to spoil, but it is quite an intricate plot. But what is just so fascinating is to see how this modern woman who is in an interracial marriage deals with this complete disorientation of being in this time and place that she, of course, had read about and knew of. But we all know that that is very different from actually being, you know, having to deal with the ramifications of being in that time and place. And you see her empathy for some of the plantation owners and the way that that empathy makes her hope that they are redeemable people. And then the way the plot spins out from there is just absolutely fascinating. It makes you think deeply about people and how much control they have within a system. It makes yeah, it it is just one of those things that makes you question everything. And the way Butler uses that time travel mechanism to drive these larger questions is so fascinating. She has such a deft touch with the time travel which sometimes I can find to be annoying, but I think when it's done well, it can be so interesting to just explore that disorientation how you deal with going back 100 years into the past when the country looked entirely different. So it is just an earth shattering book. It is absolutely amazing. If you read it and haven't read Butler before, I think you like me will want to read all of the Octavia Butler. It's a book, if you've been waiting to pick it up, pick it up. Now it's great on audio. I really love the audio. It moves so fast. I think because it's a classic, it can have that kind of daunting factor where you think it's going to be hard work. And it's not that it doesn't make you think, but it is not hard work to read. It is so compelling. It feels, you know, it's like an action novel or a suspense novel, because there are all these things that you want to see what happens. And yet there are all these important questions underlying that propulsive plot. So again, book that I regret waiting so long to read, and that is Octavia Butler's Kindred.
0: Yes, I I remember when you were talking about that one before, Jen, and I still haven't read any of her work. And that is very high on my 2023 priorities, because I just want to get into it. Because same, I've had them, I mean, several of hers I have on my Kindle, and they are just waiting and I need to dive on in. That sounds amazing.
1: All right, Ashley, what is your third choice?
0: All right, so I'm going to round out with a very different style. And this one is one that I talked about at the beginning, early on in 2022. And it is gorgeous art that tells a powerful story. This is Jason Reynolds and Jason Griffin's Ain't Burned All the Bright. And I cannot say enough about how phenomenal this book is. This is one that Jen shared with me. And I think that as I was looking back over the year, Why it stood out to me is, like I said in the award, it is art that is telling a story. And I think that art is central to the book in a way that's just really stunning and resonant. I think it really stays with you because I had such an emotional connection to the story. So this is very much an exploration of what it feels like to be Black in America right now. And so it really gets into, again, through very few words. It centers on a teen. You can tell that it's a teenager who, a boy, and that, again, a lot of this is unnamed. It's through art, but you can tell that it's a boy, that the boy has a sister, and that the boy is living with his family, and that is during the pandemic. And so I feel like there's just so much that is moving without saying a lot, as far as the feeling of suffocation, of not being able to leave your house, of not being able to be safe in a space, and at the same time, for major events to be happening that deeply affect you. And so, you kind of see all of that going on in the story. And so when I was looking back over the year, I mean, I just think that it was such a powerful read. It's gorgeous. It's really just like the art is really striking. Beautifully done, layered, textured, turns out really well within the book. And then also, so it's Jason Griffin's art, which is phenomenal. And then Jason Reynolds is layering his text onto that art. And Jason Reynolds, we've talked about many times on the podcast. um, He just is really phenomenal and has a way with, his writing is really amazing, but he is quite a poet also. And so I think that that poetry style complements so nicely in this particular Collection, the way that they put it together. And so, yeah, I just absolutely love it. They have a really sweet friendship and they have this really sweet account on Instagram where you can see some of the ways that they make art together. And so, I just think that it's something that's really stayed with me because I think that we've said before that Reynolds really just has his finger on the pulse of young people in America. He's speaking to his experience as a black man in America. So I think while he's careful not to make sweeping generalizations about that anybody is having, you know, that not everyone's having the exact same experience. And yet there is this element of universality in this book. And I thought that what was really striking is that it both is showing how painful some of these components are of what's going on in our world right now, and yet also really hopeful. And so I thought that was a hard balance to achieve. But I did feel like with very few words, that you have a story that does not turn away from how hard things are, but also retains this remarkable sense of hope for a better future. And so I think that's really amazing. So that is gorgeous art that tells a powerful story. And it's Jason Reynolds and Jason Griffin's Ain't Burned All the Bright.
1: I love that one so much. I was just sitting here grinning as you were talking about it, because it is one of those books that of course is dealing with really serious things and has really solemn moments. And yet my feelings about it are completely warm. And just yeah, it's such a great reading experience.
0: Yeah, and it's a very quick one. So again, great for students. But if you are looking for something that has a deep impact, but also moves quickly, I mean, it
1: just doesn't take any time to read, but it really stays with you. What about you, Jen? What's your final pick? Well, as I get ready to launch into this final pick, I will just say I did not mean to pick all historical fiction. So I I just had that revelation. But anyway, so this third pick is an award for the story that enchanted me and defied my World War II book resistance, which I feel like is well documented on the podcast. So anytime a book can break through that ugh of hearing that something is a World War II book, I feel like it's notable. This one is Sarah Winman's Still Life. And this is one, oh my goodness, that just makes me smile. So it is set in 1944 in Tuscany, and it deals with this small community who I would call a found family who through the trauma of World War II and through some challenges that are unique to that place, they support each other. They love each other. Some of them make some really bad mistakes and almost alienate the others. And yet the feeling that they are really a family who has chosen each other is it just happens throughout. There's some magic. I d- I wouldn't call it quite magical realism, but there are some whimsical touches that are magical. There is a bird, for example, who is a big part of the plot and <laughs> I would say is definitely part of that found family. There are characters who find their way to the family and have a hard time sticking there. There is even a part that centers on E.M. Forster's visit to their town. And he is working through his identity as a gay man. And yeah, there's some interesting representation. So there is a character named Evelyn who figures into the book sort of as a traveling in and out of the town. There's a man named Ulysses. So I, I feel like it brings in all those echoes of the Odyssey and someone being on a journey. It, it's a huge cast of characters. I can't possibly begin to uh, talk about them all. But the way they work together, a lot of them are broken individually. But then the way they work together, they kind of fill in the gaps for the other people. It is, it is just, oh, I just love it so much. I, it's a pretty short book when you look at it, but it feels huge just because it encompasses so much. It does talk about the war, but a lot of it is about the aftermath of the war and recovery and how people can help each other to recover from their different experiences that they had, whether it was actually as soldiers in the war or just dealing with the losses that happen when you're living through a time like that. So it, it is just charming and sweet and sad and all the things i i just loved it so much so that is sarah winman's still life which is a story that enchanted me and defied my world war ii book resistance <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sounds great jen that sounds really sweet that's so good oh my goodness it makes me want to go back and reread it right now which i don't think i can do but maybe maybe that'll be <laughs> something to start off 2023 All right, well, we have a surprise. So for anyone who supports us on Patreon, we are going to share a few more picks over there. We don't want this episode to go on forever, but we did each have a few more books that, yeah, we couldn't quite fit in this, this group of three, but we want to share anyway. So if you decide to support us on Patreon, you can hear about a few more books. So we are going to end with our Give Me One. And today's topic is a non-bookish award for 2022. Ashley, what is your award you'd like to bestow?
0: (laughs) So I'm actually, this is not usually my style, but I'm going to go with Facebook groups um, for my non-bookish award. And listeners may or may not know that I'm pretty resistant to social media. Like outside of the podcast, I really don't do a whole lot with it at all and have a kind of complicated relationship with it, I would say. But I think that this year where I was navigating a breast cancer diagnosis and what to do in the light of that, and like you... As people who've been through something like that know, like you have to make a lot of pretty major decisions relatively quickly. And so for me, it was a lot about like, you know, do I do reconstruction and what does that look like? A lot of women often have some kind of they do implants or they might have tissue that gets moved from one part of their body up to their breast area. And so a lot of that is something you don't know about until you get a diagnosis, but then you have to like figure those things out very quickly. And I found that Facebook groups were just really great for helping get information out there, for finding people who are in the same situation, and then for getting really good advice and opinions on choices that people made and how they felt about them. So I know I've shared before, but I chose to go with a flat closure, which means that now my chest wall is just straight down. It looks, you know, more like a young, like a girl who hasn't developed breast, And that's been a great fit for me. But anyway, that was a hard thing to navigate and something that I just really appreciated having other women who had been there and had made the choices and who had had some time to reflect, and the Facebook groups made that possible. So it was just a great example of a time where social media can do really great things. To There are thousands and thousands and thousands of people facing that, but not necessarily in our small town in Virginia. And so then, you know, it's just finding those people and hearing their perspectives. So I just really appreciated that, and that was a really great highlight of social media for me in a way that really helped me through something. So what about you, Jen? What's your non-bookish
1: award for 2022. So I'm now debating whether this is cheating or not, but I'm I'm just going to go ahead and say it. So one of my challenges for myself this year was to read all of Jane Austen's major novels, which I'm doing along with buddy readers on Instagram, which has been a joy, but it has also made me dive into the world of Jane Austen adaptations and revisiting those has been really fun. So there are some that I have loved for a long time, like the adaptation of Sense and Sensibility, starring Emma Thompson and Kate Winslet and Alan Rickman and Hugh Grant. And then there are some that I had never watched before, like the PBS version of Pride and Prejudice, which I had never seen, starring Colin Firth. And so that has just been a lot of fun. It's been this little like touchstone through my year that has not felt high pressure. It has just been a really fun little project that I've taken a great deal of satisfaction from. So maybe that's cheating. Hopefully not. But yeah, I'm gonna say <laughs> I don't think it's okay. cheating. And I'm
0: glad that's been such a success. Yeah. And I think that was something that in general, I know when you started, I think it was not I think you had like a little seed of an idea. And then it became a really big yeah big thing that a lot of people participated in. And yeah, that's cool about the adaptation. It's been
1: fun. I've been reflecting in our newsletters. So people who read our newsletters, which you can get to from our website, have seen me sort of reflecting as I finished each book. And then I've talked about the adaptations some there. So if you want more detail, uh, if you subscribe to our newsletters, you can get our back issues and you can watch a little bit more about my journey there. But yeah. All right, everyone, well, we would love to know what awards you might give to books that you've read this year. So feel free to reach out to us on social media, or you can email us at unabridgedpod at gmail.com. And don't forget, if you would like a few more unabridged awards, you can check out our Patreon feed, and that is over at patreon.com slash unabridgedpod. Thanks so much for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.